Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dundee Dum, the show about the reality dark drama that has centred in Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. And of course, I am Royfield. 2018 has seen some uh, Dundee Dum Patreon content. Now, to access this content, what you've got to do is to become a member of Patreon. Quite simply, you spend uh, $2 per show and then you get email links from me when I interview various Archers actors. And when we do special content. Now this year we spoke to a few Archers actors behind the scenes and um, I think that some of those conversations have been really illuminating and it's great to um, speak to my heroes. Um, What I thought I'd do as a special one-off is to give you some extracts of three of those interviews uh, with Anya, with Tim and with Annabelle as way of a little present to say thank you for all of your support in 2018. Uh, That support doesn't have to be monetary, though Lucy and I quite like the monetary support. So um, if you'd like access to behind-the-scenes Archers interview content in 2019, go on to patreon.com. But that support can be being a caller in error, it can be writing a review on iTunes or another podcatching service, or just telling your friends and family about uh, Dum Dee Dum. So as I said, without further ado, here is some extracts of some of the interviews that I've conducted this year. Have a happy new year. Bye-bye. Now, I take away different things from the interviews I do. Uh, with Tim, 
who plays David Archer, he kind of exudes a blokish charm and you really get the sense that Tim is very much in the old tradition of the kind of the rep actors that used to be a mainstay of the Archers when he joined in the early 1980s. With Anya, we had so many things in common, like we kind of lived in the same bit of London, that I just descended into flirting outrageously. Becky, who played Nick Grundy, with her I felt a real warmth, a kind of a kindred spirit. But in this interview, I was completely taken aback by Annabelle's honesty and very obvious love for the character of Kirsty, And it really made me realise that she's probably still only a character in the show because of the brilliance of Annabelle's acting. Anyway, why don't you decide? This is Dumdy Dum, the show about the reality docudrama that is centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm Roy Field-Brown. I'm just a fan. And I get no greater joy than when I get to speak to the actors, the people behind the voices on our wonderful docudrama. Um, who are you? Who have I got with me this week? You have Annabelle Dowler. A.K.A. Kirsty Miller. Woohoo! <laughs> now, Annabelle, i got a very serious question to ask you first off. Right. Now, I know you've got a long-studded starred career <laughs> but the best night of your professional life was obviously the Dumdy Dum Awards oh my god now, it was now be honest was it actually winning the award or was it the fact that you got to meet the person who did the happy house mix of your plaintive way that what was the highlight of your professional career oh my what was that the whole thing was surreal can I just say from my agent rigging me and saying oh now Annabelle um, yes you've won an award and I was like, oh, 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 BAFTA, oh, so me. Oh, oh, not not heard of that one. Anyway, and then um, to being given a mug on that stage, a mug which I have to say don't have many mugs, haven't got a lot of space in the kitchen, so I tend to use that mug on a daily basis. But then that mix that you did, which I have since tried to find on YouTube, I can't find it, you'll have to oh, send me the link so I can just show friends. Oh, my word, that haunted me for weeks I don't think I've ever heard anything quite so terrifying as the way you sort of you cut my my scream my wail and my I love you toms into this weird musical <laughs> mix <laughs> that and then somebody else who I'm sure is one of your tweet along friends came up to me with her phone and and had her ringtone as of me wailing in the vestry that was her ringtone wow. yeah it was a bit of a bizarre night <laughs> bizarre in a nice way and you know what? And oh, I still got, I still got the picture of me giving you a, a little bit of a hug. Yeah, Aww. didn't realise how small you were. You're diminutive, yeah. aren't you? You I, never I, I... get the sense that Kirsty on the Archers is diminutive because you're such a light, oh. a loud and bright character. <laughs> I know I'm five foot one. So you have to make up for it some way. <laughs> <laughs> so let's wind all the way back because. You're from Formby. So tell us about those formative years. Well, I'm from Formby, which is north of Liverpool. And actually, my parents are still in the same house there. I'm going back home for Easter. Um, uh, pretty normal, happy upbringing. Well, normal as far as I thought everything was normal, you know, but um, two sisters stayed in the same house, primary school, secondary school in the same area. Always started doing drama when I was about 10 in a little drama club in Formby. 
and started doing all um, the sort of festivals. We used to do like verse speaking and improvisation and these sort of terrifying classes. We'd go to Crosby and Southport and do them. And then I got into youth theatre in Southport and then I did Manchester Youth Theatre, which was which was fantastic, actually, because I did it when I was 16, 17. And um, you got to spend the whole summer living away. So it was like a sort of dress rehearsal for uni, really. You'd live away for five weeks in the summer in halls of residence in Manchester. And you and you just with all these these kids, these teenagers with the same interests as you, and you all put on a show at the end of the summer in a theatre in Manchester and then went back to school thinking you were so superior and more grown up to all your schoolmates now. And I did that a couple of years and absolutely loved it. And then I went to, yeah, I went to Bristol Uni and did Spanish and drama. And, and then I went to live in Spain for two years. So I didn't go to drama school straight away. I sort of knew I wanted to be an actress, but I had this sort of mad passion for Spain and Spanish. And I sort of wanted to get that out of my system first. So I thought, well, I can't really do it the other way around. I can't start being an actress and then decide to go and live in Spain. So better to go and do the whole Spanish thing first. And that's what I did. Ay, pero que maravilla! Oh, thanks to EasyJet, I can now go to see my familia in Spain for only 50 pounds. I can see Pablo in Madrid, Jose in Malaga, y mamá y papá in Palma, Mallorca for only 50 pounds return with EasyJet. It's incredible! Que voy a ir a la playa, que voy a ponerme... Offer ends midnight, Monday, June the 14th. Terms and conditions apply. So is it fairly safe to say that you had a somewhat happy but kind of solid middle-class upbringing? Yeah, it is safe to say that. I mean, I, I went to a um, a secondary school which was very mixed, you know, um, and I uh, my mum and dad actually didn't have a Scouse accent because my mum had gone to the convent school in Southport and mm. I just didn't have a strong accent. And I felt very aware at my secondary school that my mum and dad were quite posh compared to the other kids, or at least to some of them. There was a real mixture of class at my school. And I remember even complaining go, to my parents before they went to parents' evening, sort of saying, oh, God, please, can you say bath and not bath? And can you say oh, <laughs> not up to fit in with the other parents? And then I went to Bristol Uni, where everyone was, oh, my God, they're so like that. So what did you do on your year abroad? But yeah, and I was like, well, no, no one in my school took a gap year unless they were resitting their A-levels. And I was like, oh, I went to Corfu on holiday and did Manchester Youth Theatre. And they were, oh, I love your accent. And I just, I... I, I was not scouts compared to real scouts in my school. So I always felt a bit in between classes. Do you know what I mean? I felt, um, but, you know, and that's probably why at Bristol, when I met all the drama crew, that's where I, I most fitted in, actually, when I was doing lots of plays in the drama society. Because I loved Spanish, but most of the Spanish department in Bristol were very upper middle class. Mm-hmm. People who already had their gap year in, in Argentina because their dad was in the embassy there or something. But, I mean, I love Spanish, but I, I loved my time at uni doing lots of plays in the in the um, student union, mostly. Let's go back to this accent thing. Before we do the Spanish thing, because I know that Spain and Spanish culture plays a big part in your mm-hmm. life. For the uninitiated, you sound like you are straight out of Brookside. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm a Brummie, so I can't hear the difference. And I actually think that one of the appeals of the character of Kirsty actually is her accent and I think it's not by accident that you're probably with the exception of Johnny you're probably the last kind of major actor that's come into it with a regional mm. accent describe the difference between a Formby accent for us and maybe someone from Runcorn or someone who's actually from from Boston. Basically, obviously, you've got your really Scouse accent when people talking like that and I never had that and my family never had that but I've had to do it a lot for jobs mm-hmm. When I was at drama school, they actually, I remember the head of our drama school saying to me, 
they went around analyzing your casting and all this and he sort of said the problem with you is that you look like you should be in a period drama but you sound like you should be in brookside and one mm-hmm. i thought i really don't sound like i should be in brookside if, if i was i did audition for brookside once funny enough and i had to make myself sound a lot scouser you know so my accent's never been that really harsh scouser in fact a lot of people, when they don't know me, sometimes think I'm Welsh because I think I sound like I might be from North Wales. And, and within the centre of Liverpool, there's, there'll be different elements of the Scouse accent and different levels of it. But actually, Formby, and my accent is not a typical Formby accent now, it's, it's, it's more like that. A lot of people in Formby have moved from Liverpool and um, they've maybe made a bit more money and they've moved to what they think is the posh part. So you've got that sort of new money Formby accent. <laughs> I hope... Uh-huh. No one's listening to this from Formby because they'll hate me. But anyway, no. my accent now, I would just say, is that I've I've definitely got the Merseyside lilt and I've got my bath, my harsh sort of A sound of the bath last, that sort of thing. Mm. I've never really been a mum upstairs. I've never had that. So I would just say it's a sort of, for me, it's a soft Merseyside accent. But it, it gets stronger when I'm with people from back home and, you know, and it depends. And, and as I say, for... I was so used to, before the Archers, actually, I'd never use my natural accent in any job. I'd always either had to make it properly Scouse, properly recognisable as a Liverpudlian, or get rid of it because it was had to be RP or it was something period or whatever. And when I went for my Archers audition, because I had no idea what they wanted, they just said, well, we don't want you to be one of the, you're not one of the country folk. We don't want that country accent and you're not posh. But we don't want you to sound, you know, specifically from you know not not a strong regional accent so that's why i i i think if i went back now and heard my first few episodes it would probably vary from being a bit even a bit because if you just go 15 minutes up the train line to southport where i'm from in Formby, it starts going a bit more like that slightly more lancashire or more manchester do you know what i mean that's sort of what we used to call a woolly bat when i was at school but then you go 50 15 minutes <laughs> the other way up north towards um sorry south towards liverpool and it gets more like that so it literally changes on the train line within a few stops it's incredible and that's what i always find fascinating about england the amount of accents even within such a small region so yes yeah, so i think my accent probably did vary a bit in those first few episodes i don't know but in the end i've ended up just using my own accent but i'm always aware that Kirsty's a bit younger than me and i think that's always in my head a bit so i, I sort of think i sound a bit younger on the arches than i do in real life but that might be just me i don't know well, I must admit, when I was looking at your kind of actor notes, the character notes um, earlier today, I I was surprised. He's like a almost almost ten years younger than you're supposed to be. But that's one of the great things about being um, a voice actor is that you know your voice doesn't have to betray your age. But you sound young anyway. Do I? Well, because I've got I've got because I've got quite a low register. I'm in a choir and I'm actually in the tenors. Well. Y- well, you don't sound like a languid divorcee, do you? You don't sound like, no. you know, you smoke a whole load of fags and, and you've lived life the no, hard way. No. You don't. No. So I don't know. Maybe it's just about, like you say, it's about having energy in your voice. It makes you sound younger sometimes. I don't know. It might be that. The speed at which I speak. I know I do tend to speak too fast. So my parents have always told me anyway. <laughs> well, not too fast for me. She said she had to make him stop. And how did you interpret those words? Well, isn't it obvious? He'd attacked her. Your Honour, I object to this line of questioning. The defence are inviting the witness to speculate. I agree, Mr Bywater. But what else could it mean? Thank you, Miss Miller. Look at him, sitting there, shaking his head. 
Well, I'm telling you, Rob Titchener is the worst That's kind of user because he doesn't leave any bruises. He lies and he Listen bullies and he this manipulates. He tried to destroy my best friend and he's still doing it. Any more outbursts, you'll be held in contempt. Is that understood? Fine by me. I've said what I came here to say. you finished school, you've gone to uni, but you mentioned the radio drama. Uh, was it was it Radio Rep? So I'm, I got a little bit confused here. Or you mentioned something which you said you'd done in your year before oh, no, that was going Man- that was Manchester. on Manchester. Sorry, yeah, where, sorry, where, sorry, which was like a residential sort of drama summer camp, I suppose. You lived away and you did a play at the end of the summer. So I did that for two summers before I went to uni. And then when I finished uni, I, I'd been doing plays all all the way through uni. But I, so I knew I wanted to to be an actress, but I just why. Why? What? What was it about? Oh, the line? I don't know. I just loved doing play after play after play, and I love. I just loved getting getting into a script and the rehearsals. And what was the first thing that you learnt when you were not in Manchester that's really stuck with you? God, I don't know. I I I've been doing plays before that with other local drama groups and with Formby Theatre Club, which my mum my mum did lots of amateur theatre, and that's how I got into, I suppose, going and seeing her in plays. Funnily enough, my mum had to understudy me once for a two-week run we did. And two weeks for an amateur group was quite a long time, you know. And I mm-hmm. was Pinocchio. And they got they said to my mum, look, will you, will you be Annabelle's understudy? And my mum said, oh, yes. Well, she obviously thinking she'd never have to go on. And I got this terrible bout of flu. And my poor mother had to suddenly squeeze herself age 50 or something, into my shorts and my faithful <laughs> And she had no idea the script. She just kept shouting out, into the woods, to the woods, and running off into the wings to get her lines. Um, but um, so I'd, I had been doing lots of that sort of stuff. Uh, so I really could not tell you what, it, I what I learned. I just knew I loved doing it. I got incredibly nervous, but I got a massive adrenaline buzz from it, and I knew I just wanted to do more of it. But, but I did have, have this passion for Spanish as well, and... You know, and I was academic at school and I, I got a good degree and I, I didn't want to just abandon the Spanish. So I did a TEFL course to teach English as a foreign language and I just got a single ticket and went to live in Madrid uh, as soon as I finished uni, thinking, well, I can come back and I can deal with drama school and the possibility of that later, which is what I did. I actually got into a theatre company while I was in Madrid and um, it was called English Theatre Workshop and it, it was great because we got to tour a lot of Spain and... It was two English actors and two Spanish actors, and we performed. We spoke in Spanish on stage about Shakespeare and performed extracts uh, from his plays in English. I absolutely loved it, um, but soon realised that if I stayed in Spain, my career would be quite limited because even though my Spanish was good, you know, it's you want to be a native, and and also I didn't look typically English. You know, the Spanish often thought I was Spanish because I'm small and dark curly hair. So somebody said to me, well, why don't you, you go to drama school? Go back to London and go to drama school. So I did. I knew nothing about it. I knew, had no idea about how to get into the business in England. I didn't know the name of a casting director or an agent. So I applied to do a postgrad back in London. And, and after two years in Madrid, I, I moved back and did that. John. Yes? John, I've met someone. I wanted to be in a beautiful place to tell you. That's why I wanted us to come to Cleveland. So that's why we cycled 30 miles. Thank you very much. Thank you for nothing. Don't be like that. Because love is such a beautiful thing. Oh, I am so happy. And I'm so sad. I am sad, John. And I'm so happy. 
Michael, please be happy for me, John. I mean... Oh, I can tell by your face. I know, John. I know. I didn't want to hurt you. But... I mean, it isn't right for us. Is it? How many hearts did you leave broken in Spain? Oh, God. Well, I didn't break a heart there, but I tried to uh, keep something going from there. And that lasted. We did keep that going for a while, but it wasn't easy. But not with a Spaniard, with an Irishman, actually. So I was doing, So I was still going back to Spain a lot to visit him. But, it, but, but I knew I wanted to do it. I knew I just had to do it. I had to go to drama school. Once I got that, did the audition and got the place, that was it. I knew that was the next stage to go to. So you you moved to London for the first time then, I take it? Yes, yep. I had no idea. And I had a South African cousin living in Fulham and I moved in with her and, yeah, I, I didn't know London at all. And when we moved out of that flat, I moved in with my sister and we really didn't have a clue where we were going. We got um, loot. It was before you could go online and look for flats. We were going through literally looking by price. We weren't even looking by area. So we do these have these ridiculous Saturdays where we'd view a cheap flat, you know, up in Wood Green in North London, then go down to Brixton and looking at a cheap flat there. We just didn't know until we just found one that we sort of liked. <laughs> Although I remember my parents visiting us in this awful flat in Tulls Hill, which I actually don't live that far from there now, but at the time it was awful. It's nice now, but just being sort of horrified at this place we'd chosen to be our home. But it was sort of all we could afford at the time. <laughs> when you moved to London, you literally were given two things. You Well, you were told to buy the loot and you're given an A to Z. Yeah. Because how the hell could you navigate this ridiculously large place otherwise? And I'm somewhat nostalgic for that. So what round about what year was that? When did you actually move to London? That was, I went to drama school in 97. Mm-hmm. And I bought a bike. I was living in Fulham and my drama school was in um, South Kensington. I remember getting a bus to Battersea, buying a second-hand bike for five quid and cycling. I'd never cycled in London before and I never actually cycled into town. But I just did that journey every day. Uh-huh. Fulham through some of the lovely back streets of Earl's Court to my drama school, which was on a gorgeous muse in South Kensington. And I was just there for a year and I had the best year. I did, there was only 10 of us on our course, five guys, five girls. And it was just such a laugh. And I just loved it because... It was all mapped out for you. It was all your whole life was timetabled again. It was lovely to be back in that sort of have that structure. But it was just a year because I'd already done my four years at uni and I'd lived abroad for three years actually, one year during uni and then two years in between. And I'd been in the theatre company. So I was doing it less for the formal training, but more to be sort of launched into the, the world of casting directors and agents and all that, which I had no clue about at all. So this is the late 90s and you're gonna start playing Kirsty in 2001 yeah yeah no right earlier 99 you know wow right so filling those two years for us what were you doing professionally what are the standout bits of your career then and also the other people on the course do you still keep in contact with them and what are they doing if they're in the business at all well one guy went straight into insurance and no one's heard of him since (laughs) (laughs) actually everyone else there's one guy we sort of lost contact with. The, the, all the girls, they are my best friends. And one of them I'm seeing tomorrow. One of them is filming on a job that I've just filmed on. So they're really good friends. I was lucky in that the casting director from the National came to see our showcase, which is what you do at the end of drama school. Mm-hmm. And I got a job doing Peter Pan at the National. And it was a small part. It was I was the mate of the... Um... Was your mum your understudy? No, she wasn't. <laughs> she would have liked it. <laughs> 
But guess who I was made to? David Troughton, who plays Tony Archer. He was ah. the darling and he was Hook. And I was the darling family's maid in Peter Pan. And, I mean, that was brilliant to go from drama school to, to work there. Such a brilliant place. And I've not worked there since. So that's my goal. I want to get back to the National. So I did that. And then I did a play at Birmingham Rep. And it's there, when I was at Birmingham doing a play, that I was introduced to Sue Wilson, who was part of the radio drama team at Birmingham, at Pebble Mill. And she said to me, oh, come in while you're doing this play in Birmingham. Come in and just bring loads of different um, pieces, anything you want, any accident, just any monologues, which was such a luxury. You never get to do that. So I just went in and had a coffee with her and just sat there and just read lots of extracts of plays and little monologues in loads of different accents. And two weeks later, she gave me my first afternoon play, which Sonny Ormond was in, who plays Lillian. Mm -hmm. And then I, I did another play, and it was doing that, uh, that Julie, one of the directors of The Archers, she came to listen to the read-through, and then she came up and said, will you come and audition for The Archers? And they were actually looking for Kirsty and Brenda at the time. So that was it. I went back and auditioned for Kirsty, and that was a year after I'd left drama school. Right, so it's 1999. So it was still at Pebble Mill then? It yeah. hadn't moved. Set the scene for the newer listeners that, they won't even know what Pebble Mill was. Oh, well, Pebble Mill was was the Birmingham BBC TV studios. And what is oh, fantastic is that when I was at school, I was, when I was 40, I was in the Madrigals. We, we were called the Mads, and we were the Madrigal singing group. There were 16 girls. And it wasn't an all-girls school. For some reason, there were 16 of us who sang in this Madrigal group. And we had a very talented boy in our school. It was like the sort of young Andrew Lloyd Webber. And he composed a song and he entered it for the BBC Song for Christmas competition, which was filmed at Pebble Mill every year. Every Christmas there was this competition on, on TV. And we got through to, and we did it. Um, we did it two years, actually. We got through to the final and we all got put up in Birmingham for the night. And we got to spend two days in the TV studio filming our song and the competition. And we didn't win the first year, but we had the most amazing time. And that is when I went, oh, my gosh. I just want to work in this. I want to work behind the scenes in TV. I don't care what I do. I want to work at the BBC. I was just mad about it. I, I fell in love with anyone, everyone. Philip Schofield <laughs> presented it. It was at the time when he was doing, do you remember the broom cupboard thing? When he, he was the first person to do the links between kids' TV programmes. I think I almost fainted when I saw him. I've got my photo with him. The whole thing I just fell in love with. I loved everyone on the team, from the runners to the director. Who I just thought everyone was so cool. And, and I've got, you know, photos of me and my, my friends from school with our thumbs up outside the big Pebble Mill studio sign. And then cut to however many years later, I couldn't believe that I was being paid to work there. And it was great Pebble Mill because it felt like you were really at the centre of so many programmes being made and the big BBC canteen had a real buzz about it. So although the mailbox where we are now is great because it, its location is, is much nearer to the, the station in Birmingham and the canal and the restaurants and the shops, Oh, there's a real nostalgia I've got for Pebble Mill. You know, the mailbox is very much like a studio in the middle of a, an open plan office, uh, whereas you really did feel like you're at the, site, at the centre of an exciting media hub at Pebble Mill. Your story is so close to mine in terms of the reason why I actually fell in love with media, mm. because I did needlework at school, basically. Oh, and yeah. I remember my, my head of house saying to me, Brown, when I showed him my options, and it was art and needlework and technical drawing. He said, Brown, this is a joke, joke boy. And I said, no, I'm going to be a fashion designer. 
Mm. And he sent a letter home to my parents. And my mum and dad wrote a letter back to us, none of this email yeah, stuff. Yeah. And said, no, uh, he's very serious. He wants to be a fashion designer. Anyway, cutting a long story short, after me being the only boy, like for 50 years to take CSE needlework <laughs> as, a, as, a, <laughs> as a subject, I was picked by the BBC as a 16-year-old to represent my school in a design competition. Wow. The final was at Television Centre. And so the story is really kind of what you're saying. It was a Tuesday. They always used to film Top of the Pops on a Tuesday. We're in the studio next door. Us kids were all dressed up. Yeah. And people going to get into Top of the Pop Studios. I remember these two girls said to me, so what band are you in? And I just made some <laughs> random name up. I signed two autographs. And then we were taken into the BBC canteen and I saw Michael Burke. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> I went, forget fashion. It's all about the media for me. So it was, it was literally so similar to, yes. to what you said there, Annabelle. That school trip yeah took me into another world mm-hmm. and you know so basically I could have been like some big ass fashion designer right now the Gianni Versace of Birmingham or whatever but it, here I am a, a lowly podcaster <laughs> you know in my in, in bedroom in San Francisco in San Francisco no less well, you know don't put yourself down well no no it, it, things could have turned out worse well excuse me sorry didn't see you there Alright. Oh, this is the bollocks, isn't it? Coldplay were on the pyramid stage just before lunch. They rocked. Yesterday, Paul Weller. We're gonna see Rolf later. We? Oh, my mate Steve. He seems he's he's uh, disappeared somewhere. He'll be back. I'll just wait here if that's okay. He's just uh over there by the beer tent. Chatting up that blonde. He'll be back for me soon enough, you'll see. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I had performed in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat in Plymouth in 1979, but I have to admit, I really wasn't a very good singer at the time. I got away with it, just but always sang a wee bit flat. No one ever told me to sit on a note. Filming for months and earning pots of money, nearly all the pirates and policemen bought houses on that film, 
for just miming, dancing and faux-fighting on a mock-up pirate ship in Shepparton Studios was about the best job a tall, energetic, not-very-good-at-singing, youngish actor could possibly ask for. Kevin Klein played the Pirate King. The inevitable and endless repetition of the scenes during filming meant that I at least knew the lines to the songs when it came to my turn to play the part on stage. The film's director was a man called Wilford Leach, and he wanted to do take after take from every conceivable angle, so the words were seared into my brain. So how important is that... Um, the, how important is, let's say, being a friend, a counsellor, you know, an arm around the shoulder for fellow actors? How important is that for you? Because I'm presuming that in large part, um, acting is quite a solitary profession if you are constantly battling, um, constantly worrying that the phone won't ring, that maybe you need a new agent, a better agent, maybe you need a new direct, take your career into a new direction. But then all of a sudden you're thrust into this one thing which has been the constant, a professional constant for the last 40-odd years. So how important is you know, is the solidarity of the actors on that docudrama, on that soap? And then how does that kind of play out into other bits of your acting career, maybe? Well, I think, I mean, it, actors are always accused of being kind of very, you know, surface and, and, and self-obsessed. Um, and there is certain, you know, there's a certain truth to that. Uh, but you know who your friends are. Um, and when, you know, when, mm. when things go wrong, you, you, you know, you do you do know who who your real friends are, and that's nothing to do with acting. That's to do with friendship. Um, so it's the same. It would be the same whatever whatever job you were doing. You know, you you find out who your friends are. It's the ones who actually get in touch when things are really bad. Um, but also, there's the other thing is that you know, depression is infectious, and people. And the, you know, I understand it if you're being desperate and clingy, and people back off a bit because they go oh god he's in a real state you know i don't know what to say to him you know i get that as well i mean you know and well i mean i mean i understand that as well um um so yeah i don't think it's i think it's really any different from just from anybody else really just being human it's it's about being a friend and when when friends are down you go and help them don't you that's what you do but is but is there a certain type of person that becomes an actor somebody who their emotional antenna is maybe dialed up more than the average person or maybe even turned down, you know, because on the one hand, it seems to me that you need to be thick skinned uh, because yeah. you're a freelancer. Uh, but on the other hand, you need to be able to recognize um, the emotional um, frailty is the wrong word, the emotional high points, low points, middle points, back, forwards, backwards of humanity to be able to translate that into, yeah. into your act. So you, you, you're kind of, you know, it, it's a volatile business, th thinking about it in those terms anyway. What yeah, it is. And I, but I don't think there is a type, you know, that becomes an actor. I think there's all sorts of different different types of people. And there are the people who are self-obsessed, the people who are sort of self-important, and um, and there are the people who are terribly, terribly sensitive. There are the people who are very, very thick-skinned. I've never really identified um, my fellow actors as being a particular type. I don't think um, mm -hmm. you, you know you have to have certain you have to have certain things going for you. You know you have to 
be able to do the job. You've got to be, you know, to survive. You've got to be good. You've got to be good at it. Um, and you've got to be, I don't know. You, yeah, you've got to be able to do different things. You can't just do one, one, you know, one trick pony. You can't do that. Um, and yeah, you, yes, you've got to be thick skinned. You're absolutely right. But you've also got to be, um, to, to be sensitive enough to be able to realize how to do a sensitive performance. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I, I can't really lump us into one box really. No. Mm. So if this acting malarkey had never taken off, what would you be doing? Would you be in a children's book author, an accomplished <laughs> one, or you know, is you know, or a, a jobbing musician, or even a travel writer? Uh, you know, what would you have done? Does you imagine you know that after you studying in Bristol, this acting had yeah. come to naught? Well, if I, you know, if I'd finished it, I was at UEA, at East Anglia, doing history of art first, and um, and then and then I got the bug there when I was doing. I joined the Drama Society, mm. and then I went to Bristol a bit theatre school after that. Um, so, I mean, no, there were there was, I mean, I could have done what my father did, which I mean, he was a producer, um, a film producer, but worked for Jay Walter Thompson. He made TV commercials, and that was great. That was a really great job. It was really good fun. So I could have been the other side of the camera quite easily. Um, and then I would have had things thing called security. You know, I would have a thing called a, a job <laughs> and a pension. Um, having said that, I am now a pensioner. I actually get a state pension. So that's taken a little bit of, take a little bit of the sting out of things. Um, that's quite nice. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, somebody recently in the army said, you know, I, what? Do you feel like a pensioner? No. <laughs> I can't believe a pensioner. I'm about 29, you know, is what I feel. Um, and I'm still fit, you know, still fit and active. And um, I don't feel any different at all from when I was 29, apart from my knees are a bit gone. Knees, knees are a bit weak. And that's from doing Pirates of Penzance, landing on my knees every night for six months, nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's that's a ridiculous thing in the world. A pensioner, that's old people. I'm not one of those. (laughs) But don't people with a certain kind of perspective and maturity on life after a certain age kind of write books? Isn't it kind of about their life? Isn't that kind of part of the, the, you know, the graying of life? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I I love writing. I really do. I mean, I've I've, I've halfway Mm. through a novel, which I kind of got stuck on, but I, I love, I love doing that. But on the other hand, you know, I mean, I, I love editing, you know, on the film editing. I love doing that as well. I love um, music. I love sitting in the evening and just just noodling away on the guitar. Um, there's there's none. There's so. I mean, some actors, you know, there are thespians, and I'm not one of those those thespians. The thespian who says, "Oh, I can't do anything else. It's the only thing I can do." And I'm absolutely not one of those. You know, this is just one of the things. This is one of the <laughs> things I happen to to do and i was you know I'm, I'm all right at it and i enjoy it uh, and i've managed to make a living at it um but that's the only reason and if it all stopped tomorrow i'd go and do something else if i had been there it would have been unlucky what oh yes you must have an odd number of people around the table on christmas eve i don't suppose it's turkey no no meat at all at that meal which suits nevenia as suddenly she is vegetarian yeah. What does your mother make of that? Well, fortunately, she is a very tolerant woman. This is what mm. you don't realise. When you are waiting for your baby, you think you can, um, you know, like a clay pot. Mold them. Exactly. But when they come, 
instantly they are themselves, an individual. You'd have liked to have been there, though, Lexi, bad luck or not. Yes, but that was the arrangement when I took the job. I Skyped, of course, but they had a great time, and that's the important thing. I'm sure they understand. You can have your own Christmas when you get home. The people are more important than the date, aren't they? Yes, yes, they are. (sighs) Top up? Thank you. We've made quite a dent in it. You're right, it's very good. Ian? No, I shouldn't. But, yeah, go on. <laughs> oh, well, we're not just waiting for our baby. We're waiting for the whole thing to start. Yeah, there's just so much uncertainty. It's, it's really wearing. I'm sure it will happen for you soon. Kuzmet. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Good luck. Thanks. Who knows? In another life, maybe I could have had your baby. Oh, at last, the food. I'm starving. Um... I must give you some money. No, 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 you're our guest. I'll go. Um, Ian, could you sort some plates out? Huh? Uh, yeah, sure. Chopsticks or forks, Lexi? You have this storyline, which I'm going to hold my hand up. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't believe a word of it. No. Right? No, that's not quite true. That's not quite true. I believe, as I said on in this week's uh, show, that um, a couple of guys who are in love... Uh, one to cement their relationship by having a child, mm-hmm. and they just happen to be gay. Mm-hmm. Don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Don't have a problem with surrogacy. What I'm struggling with is somebody embarking on a relationship, somebody being Roy, embarking on a relationship with somebody, and within a matter of months, <laughs> let's say six months, four months, five months, whatever it is, we're not talking about years, um, that person who they embarked on a relationship with saying, I want to be a surrogate. (laughs) And that person, i.e. Roy, then going with them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How long have you been (laughs) going with the archers? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Too long, 1984. I'm an old fart. By this sort of sudden turn in storyline. Look, as as, uh, I was... I never saw it going that way. I don't think any of us did. In fact, you know, because I knew that obviously when we were recording before this came up for Lexi, I think Pip had just found out she was pregnant sort of just before I think. So I was like, Oh, I bet they're going to do something with Pip and the baby. And that's going to go for Ian and, you know, maybe she'll give up the baby for Ian and Adam. That was where my head was going. And then I got my scripts and I went, Oh, Oh, what? Um, so it's come as as much as a shock to myself and I, um, Ian, who plays Roy, and I think uh, Ian and Adam, uh, as much as it has the listeners. Um, as a as a woman, I've really only just now started to look at why and how, and is this feasible? And something I'm sort of reading a lot on is that surrogates, women that choose to be surrogates, tend to be people that have huge empathy in and and I think you had a caller in actually on Dumb to Dumb um, about uh, maybe last week or this week uh, who said you know what an amazing gift to give to someone. I'm not sure as a woman myself, Anya, I could ever get my head round using my body to provide a child for somebody else. That's just not in my sort of stratosphere of thinking. But now I'm having to look at that, which is the beauty of being an actor. Um, And 
it's all happened very quickly. I will agree with you on that. Um, I am going to see how it plays out. I still don't know. I'm as much in the dark as you. I'm still in the... And, and what you're hearing, will she? Won't she? Are they? Are they not? Is it going to work? There's so many factors, as a lot of the fans have said, to think about legally, um, emotionally, physically. Poor Roy. I mean, really? I, you know, yes, poor Roy. But obviously, maybe this is a side of Lexi. Who knows what her motives are yet as well? She's got two girls. I, You don't know what people, what she's thinking in terms of, could this mean that her girls can come over, that this would be a chance to maybe establish something here or that she'd then be able to go back there. I don't, I'm not really quite sure yet myself. Um, I was as shocked as you are. And um, I'm quite fascinated to see where the, the, the guys are going to take this one. Um, and and if it does go ahead, I just hope and pray that we can make it believable um, because I know it's been a big, it's made quite a big impact <laughs> to a lot of the fa- the fans. I've, you know, I, I do follow you all, and I have been sort of reading and and I understand the concerns. But also, actually, this happens. So, mm. you know, it does. It happens. I don't know anyone that's done it. I I do know a gay couple actually that have have done it, and I'm absolutely desperate to speak to them um, to see how this all worked for them. Um, and the woman that was their surrogate. But yeah, you know, look, I'm a sort of intrigued and scared as well because I want to keep Lexi who she is at the same time. And this takes her on quite a different path, actually. So we'll see. Absolutely. It, yeah. it does feel like a completely different path from the Lexi who was yeah. in effect corralling and leading the pickers who then kind of fell for Roy. This feels like a completely different character. But as the script writers and as you've portrayed, she does have this maternal side. She does talk about her girls back in Bulgaria. And and also underlying that has got to be the fact that, the, you know, she was only in England uh, to earn money. So there's something about sending money back home, which is what a lot of, whether it's Eastern Europeans oh. or African immigrants or Western immigrants, you know, something which, which people no. do. So I know a, so I, it, I know I used to work. Yeah, on, right, whether you, this, goes or not but I worked for a lady part-time when I was out of work for a bit who she had a housekeeper from the Philippines that has been here and she's still here I mean it must be going on 20 years now and she has five kids back in the Philippines and the Philippines is a long way and she works her bollocks off if I'm allowed to say that and she just sends all the money back home and the kids you know she's she has sacrificed that relationship i guess i know there's a lot of women on twitter that are you know wow well, ah, you've forgotten about the kids and 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 blah 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 um but she, i mean i think she this woman i know gets to see her kids maybe once every 3 years and has done for the last 20 years so i know it happens you know i've been privy to it um and who knows what may come if Lexi does end up being surrogate. I, I, I don't know what it means. And, you know, I, I'm sort of dying to know myself. Um, also, I've just got to say that uh, Jean Rose, Auntie Jean, um, that was basically her question as well. So she's a spirit questioner uh, for, for that answer that you just gave as well. So thank you for that, Auntie Jean. Izzy Archers says, ideally... How would you personally like to see Lexi develop? Give us a fantasy storyline. Wow. Ooh. 
Oh, wow. Oh, I'd love to end up like, I don't know. I'd love her to end up with her girls in, in Ambridge. Um, no, a lot of people might not like that. Well, she, she, she best get in before March 19, uh, 2019 because yes, Brexit's going to be quick. Um, I, you know, it's, it may not be possible. Well, someone better pull out the ring then. Um, and uh, whether it be Roy or Rex, who knows? Um, and I don't know. I mean, because I'm still so fresh and I'm meeting all these characters and the actors that play them I mean I know who my favorites are but I would I guess I'd love to see her sort of setting up setting up shop in Ambridge somehow and becoming you know becoming a firm uh, a firm character maybe well you know what you need to do you need to get yourself a part-time job in the village shop that, well, you, you want to be if you're next to susan carter you're not going anywhere hilarious you know, no, you're going, I know. You know that'd be great double maybe i've got this sort of vision of uh lexi susan maybe i love linda snell as well oh my gosh she just i love her as a character i love the actress that plays her um i don't know having a goat farm and like, you know, <laughs> having goats and dogs and children and, and being Lexi being the sort of maternal um, one of the group sort of keeping everyone to, in check and and making things run brilliantly. But of course, then we wouldn't have a soap. It would, you know, it would just be sort of easygoing and everyone would be happy wearing hippie flowers around their head. Um, so I'm not quite sure a fantasy sort of outcome is the best one. Um, I definitely like to see her stay though. You know, I'm just having, it's such a joy. I can't tell you. It's such a joy being part of. Everyone is so fantastic. Um, that no matter where I, I just, as long as she never loses a sense of who we've established her to be, I think I'll be quite happy. Um, whether fans love her or hate her, because they're all the haters. I've seen the haters. Don't worry, I'm on it. Um, oh, bug, bug of the haters <laughs> and your bug, bug of them. Thank you for wanting to come and talk. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. Go and grab a seat. Or, uh, or, or would you rather sit here? Oh, no, here's fine. Okay, great. So, uh, you said you've been thinking about our proposition? I've been doing some research, looking at the facts. Well, that's good. It's all so big and complicated. There are things I need to know. I- I'd like to ask you some questions. Sure. First of all, if we were to go ahead, it might be hard for me to work full-time through the whole pregnancy... My work can be quite physical, you know, on my feet all day. Yeah, yeah, of course. We understand that. So, if if that were the case, would you make that possible for me, to make up my wages? Yes. Definitely. Obviously, we'll cover your expenses. Well, that would be a part of the deal, of course. Oh, OK. And would see to any extra costs, any other unforeseen expenses? Hmm, we're prepared to be very flexible about all that kind of stuff. But you must understand, for me, some other things are more important. OK. So, what kind of... Well, first of all, I wouldn't want to give up one of my own eggs. I'd find that difficult. So it would have to be donated. Sure, that's fine. That's no problem, is it, Adam? Uh, Not at all. We're already on the waiting list for a donor egg. I'm sorry to be so strict about this. No, no, no. Don't worry. We know it's a huge ask for you. All right. So is there anything else? Yes. There is one more thing. If I were to get pregnant, I would want to spend more time at home with my girls. That's home as in... Bulgaria, yes. I see. 
listen, you have been such a breath of fresh air oh, uh, yeah. to, to the world of the arches. Anytime. And and also also to Dum Dum the podcast. So I just like to thank you for, for coming on and answering my questions and also the questions of the listeners. And sorry, John Kavanagh, uh, Ruth Erian, Ben Johnson, Waking Kraken, Barry Editor One for not getting to the end of all of your questions. But I, I you know, I gave I it like a good to ramble. Stab. I don't think you've had much time. We will need another podcast, Royfield. Have you back on at any time? Uh, folks, don't forget, you can follow all our goings on on dumdydum.com. Go there. It's got a shop. It's got the forum. And it's also got Tractor, where you can uh, simply go on to Tractor and decide, hmm, I live here or I work there. I want to hang out with other archers obsessed people. On social media, of course, you can catch us where, specifically on Twitter, we are dumptydum. You can follow me where I'm at Royfield for badly spelt gram- grammatically poor tweets. Also, there is my co-host at Lucy V Freeman. And of course, there is Naked Fingers on the Twitters. And of course, on Facebook, go on there, just type in Dumpty Dum. And uh, you can follow our goings on there. Now, Miss Anya, <laughs> um, is there anything else you would like to say before we complete and utterly sign off? Anything like burning away then you thought damn it i didn't talk to him about this oh oh my my oh someone asked who would you duel at dawn i liked that oh yes yeah 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 yeah. me darling all the way let's go let's go back to desserts and everything else (laughs) (laughs) definitely (sighs) definitely there's so much we can talk about it's for another podcast i'd happily come back anytime just before we go, I know that um, you've made some great friendships since you've been part of the um, Archers crew. Who, who's your best mate? Who's your mucker? I have to say, Stephen, who plays Ian and I, we're like kids. We just, if, if we were, I think one of our directors said to us the other day, my God, if you'd been in the classroom, you'd have been the two that we separated. Um, <laughs> we, have, we have a right giggle. And obviously, Ian that plays Roy, I mean, he was the first person. He took me under his wing. And so those two really are the are my biggest confidence right now. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know what we'll do next time? Yeah. We'll actually get you and Stephen on together. How's that? Because it is actually what you asked. Uh, it is. Yes. I, I, just because I adore him and he... He brings so much to the table every time. And also, look, he's my sort of wingman as well at the minute, you know, as someone that's still relatively new. You know, I don't know all the answers. I'm, I'm, I'm going along and taking in as much as I can. And, but he's a right giggle. I think you'd be surprised. He's, uh, he's brilliant. Because you know what? You know, Ian Craig, actually, uh, the character, he's a bit dour. Yeah. Oh, it, like, you, well... I think uh, let 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 let's be a bit fair. I think you know sometimes storylines have you maybe having to be a bit repetitive for a while, and sometimes you know things go on. And I, I think sometimes it's very storyline dependent on whether your character's being liked or not. But Stephen is probably, and I've only known him. You know, I know people say, "Oh, Lexi's only known Adam and Ian a few months." I've only known Stephen. You know, we've only really had our storylines the last three months, honestly. We do not shut up when we're together. I mean, he's coming around for dinner next week. I can't wait. So, 
Right. So um, I'm going to be in London when uh, end of Feb. So w- where are we going for this date then? Because you said you wanted a you, you said you wanted a hot black podcaster. <laughs> black podcaster all the way depends how you know, depends how much cash you got in your pocket mate well, where we go no. we have to see <laughs> we have to see but i thought i thought you're a modern woman i thought you believed in uh, the equal division of of responsibilities oh, do you know i again this came up yesterday i went on this blind date and i paid half and i am a modern woman so i found myself after the date going should I feel weird that I sort of wanted him to pay for the first date? I mean, it wasn't very expensive. Um, did he not like me or is, does this still stand? Or as a w- modern feminist, am I supposed to, you know, put my hand in my pocket? But I'm also quite, you know, an old romantic. I like someone to look after me a little. It's honestly, I'm a bit flummoxed by it. So I I couldn't agree with you more on this, right? Yeah. When I was doing the whole um swipe left, swipe right thing. <laughs> what I kind of realized talking to my brother about this, and my brother is what, 34? Right. He was like, no, no, no. You you all just go halves. And I'm like, but do you really Mm. No, you know, you are the man. And, it, and and I think it's kind of generational. Yeah. That if you're in your 20s, first date, it's completely and utterly down, you know, down the middle. Absolutely. The older you get, the more that that old fashioned kind of. And, and I'm completely and utterly like. I'm yes, I'm a man and whatever, but I'm no sexist, ca- you know, caveman. No, but but you just think it's just what you do. You just pay on that first date. But you know, and my brother was like, absolutely, he says no. Wow. He says you don't know where this is going. Whatever, they're as broke as me. You know, I'm as broke as them. Sorry, no, that you you don't even think about it. And I just said, no, that's wrong. I, but then again, I, I'm just. Oh, I don't know. I sort of agree with you. And and I am, you know, I'm I'm very much for equality. You know, I'm I'm with the movement, but there are certain sort of things that I as a as a woman, I I guess I don't know that I don't expect it, but I, it just feels nice and it feels sort of chivalrous and you know, and all those things and 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 I was pretty flummoxed, but I have to say I was a bit disappointed that he hadn't paid. I was a little bit like, "Oh, okay. All right." Okay, is this, modern, is this is this modern living now? Oh wow! Where's up until that moment had the date been going well? It had. He was very very sweet. I'm not quite sure we were right for each other, um, but he's a very very lovely guy. So it was a mutual friend that set you both up. Plus, it was actually Kelly Bright. <laughs> 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 Kelly Bright and her two very. So you know who you should be complaining to. Then it's her. No, well, I yes, I called her, but she was at the NTAs last night. So uh, yeah, that uh, we haven't had the conversation yet. <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you this. You're not just telling me this, you're telling about 30,000 others. This is fantastic. This is podcasting gold. This is real life. This is real life. So if you are actively dating, right, are you actually, uh, are you on an app? No, (laughs) don't do the apps. I am so not an internet data. It's not my thing. I've had friends in the past go, oh, just try it. I've been on it. And I end up, for some reason, Royfield, this might make you laugh, um, 
or it should make you laugh. It, I'm not sure whether to laugh or cry. I, I can remember going on one and thinking, you know, look, I'm not a recognisable face. I get, I'm the sort of the actress that people go, oh, we've met before. And I'm like, no. And then I say I was in <laughs> Luther or something like that. And they go, oh my God, oh my God. You know, um, uh, so I, 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 I have tried, but I ended up going on one. Literally every guy that got in touch with me, with me was I put my age range in as I think 30 to 50 or something every guy that got mm-hmm. in touch with me was over 60 um I, I kid you not I mean I think I took photos just as evidence of this and then you could see who'd been looking at you and I got slightly freaked out because like an old acting teacher of mine was on there and I literally when I saw that I was like no this is just not for me this is not how I roll I am very much someone that every partner I've met has been quite synchronistic or somebody that I've known for a while that we've then got together. And again, there, there is my old fashioned romance. You know, I, I'm, I'm quite old fashioned. I'm a modern woman, but I love a bit of sort of, you know, the idea of synchronicity and things coming together when they're supposed to. The idea of swiping left and right. I mean, some of the stuff I've seen on those sites is just horrifying. Um, so- <laughs> but, but, but how? How? Let, let's take out friends setting up blind dates, because I think even that's incredibly rare now. Yes. Or at least it's a, you know, it's an art form which is dying out, you know. How do you actually truly meet people? <sighs> uh, I don't mean you, you. I mean, you know, I, it, adults now. I, because no. even though where the social and where the professional is incredibly blurred now, it we don't, you know, going to a bar mm. and chatting the person up next to you, or at least having a conversation which then falls into chatting up, that art seems to have died a death mm. really because of the rise of the internet. Mm. So you know, I, I put it to you again, madam, how the hell do you really meet people? Not you, you, but you know. I ask myself that question. So do a lot of my single friends. I think I truly, truly, all I can say to you is you, I, I'm still a believer that it will be by literally somebody picking up the note you just dropped in a shop. And I'd love to think that it's, you know, something like that. I, I I think work, I think, you know, look, I don't know, Royfield, what else you do if it's just podcasts. I don't know your background, but... Well, that's the that's the reason why I don't meet yeah, anyone because, because all, all I do is yeah. you know yeah I I travel the world but I'm always by myself yeah and and that's when it becomes hard. Well, maybe you know what did you say going to San Francisco planes? I know a lot of people that have met each other on planes. That's well, that always seems to be a good place. The Mile High Club. Um, <laughs> I honestly can't answer. I can't give you an answer to that because I think there's a lot of us in the same boat. And that's whether you're, you know, acting and on a set or or stuck doing your podcasts or, you know, I'm the same. I do a lot of voiceover and, and, and that's very you on your own with an engineer in the other room and that's about it. And they're banging on about their girlfriend and you're like, oh, right, well, you're taken. Okay, um, back home to my dog then. <laughs> A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. 
The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.